Everybody good? You notice the snow? And you made it. Well done. It's Michigan, right? Deal with it, right? <laughs> Still pretty, and it's nice, right? Some people think it's a swear word, snow. It's not. You know, it depends on where you're at, but it's still good. Uh, I have mentioned something before when I've been up here doing sermons, and um, I'm going to mention it again. I grew up going to a Catholic private school, okay? Here's a problem. The only thing is now, because of my experience, I have uh, tendencies to have ill feelings towards nuns. I do. (laughs) You don't mess with nuns. They're strong, okay? They will take you down. Uh, the problem with me in the Catholic school was trouble seemed to follow me everywhere I went. Uh, there was times where I would have unique punishments. One in particular, they gave me a piece of steel wool and had me clean the entire hallway of the school. Any marks on the white tile, I had to scrub off. That was fun. Another one that was unique, they made me go back to kindergarten when I was in second grade. Okay, They thought that would be embarrassing for me. Here's the problem. I loved every bit of that. Every bit of that. I had snack time, nap time, and here was the thing. I knew all the answers. Like, come on, that was amazing. It was the best experience of school in my life, kindergarten at second grade. But in third grade, I had this intense teacher, Mrs. Connors. Okay, Mrs. Connors was her name. She was probably in her early 60s, and she was another person. She wasn't a nun, but she was a person you did not mess with. And here's the thing. Third grade, I was really well-behaved. I respond well to strong leadership, okay? (laughs) And she had that strong leadership. She would drop the hammer. But in third grade, it was the first time I ever experienced that I can remember in a public setting among my peers, anger. We had a transfer student come in, and this student was a fighter. He fought anybody, any person, anything, and it would set him off. Any day, he'd be set off. He just had this temper that could not be satisfied. And I got to witness Mrs. Connors on one of those days put this student in a full Nelson, okay? It was like WWE Raw, okay? Here was the thing. I loved it. It was entertainment. Every day you come to school, you didn't know what would set them off, and I could have instigated some things, maybe, but it was something that was so intriguing that I could not help but be entertained by it. And then thinking back, so if I'm today I'm looking back, I realized... Anger had a lot to do with the atmosphere of the room. Later on, I had a friend that loved to play golf. He was really good at golf. And so he started playing with another friend. And that friend had a horrific temper. He was one of those guys that if he'd miss a shot, he'd chuck a club. He broke so many clubs over his knee. He threw them in the pond, all kinds of fun things. The more my friend hung out with him and played golf, the more he acquired that temper himself. Anger is interesting, and I heard something recently, and here's the thing I kind of want to start off with today, just this thought. I want it to kind of marinate. Here's the thought. Anger, and I found this in articles, I found some research to back this up, but anger is one of the most socially accepted emotions. Anger is one of the most socially accepted emotions. If you go to Meyer and you see somebody yelling at a sales associate, you're probably thinking, oh, something happened. But if you see somebody crying, it changes your whole demeanor. You don't know what to do with other emotions, but anger, at least socially, it's completely accepted. And that's the thought I want to start with today. Because we're going to continue, and I have a little bit of direction of where we're headed. 
And this helps me as much as it helps you. I have an ADD brain, and uh, this gives me direction. So direction today is we're going to start with Acts. We're going to continue our series in Acts chapter 8, verse 5 through 25. I'm going to talk about the uh, Great Commission lens. I'm going to talk about bitterness. That's where we're camping out today, bitterness. And then I'm going to bring out something more, so what, story of bitterness, and communion. That's where we're headed. So we're going to land with communion, and communion is in your seats. So you've noticed that probably already. If not, you've sat on it and you realized it that way. But I want to start today with the passage, Acts chapter 8. I'm starting at verse 5 because if you noticed last week, what Kirk preached on actually is continuing a little bit at the beginning of chapter 8. And so that's a totally different kind of section and along with that story. So we actually pick up today with verse 5. So let me read this together. Philip. I just want to say one thing real quick. Philip. We're talking secondary leadership. We've heard a lot from the apostles, the main people. Philip is probably a character you haven't heard much of. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Good things are happening. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. All the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. I'm going to continue reading, but just so you know, we have Philip. And again, secondary leadership. What I mean by secondary leadership is he's not one of the main characters we necessarily hear a lot of. And so we have something that's happening outside of kind of the main characters taking place in the Bible. And then we have Simon, this person that you probably never heard of, Simon the sorcerer. And he does magic. And with magic, he has brought influence. And people are actually saying he is a man of God. Let's continue. This right? Okay, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria, more of the main characters that we'd normally typically hear more from. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers, there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone I, whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Pretty harsh. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. 
Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Pretty clear story. We understand Philip, Simon, and what happens with Simon. He gets corrected by Peter. And there's a lot happening in this. And as we read through the book of Acts, there's one thing that I want to bring to your attention that's happening, that we get evidence, that we get witness, like there's witnessing power here on how the Great Commission works. So there's a Great Commission lens. Each chapter records an exciting new phase in the program of fulfilling the Great Commission. In the current passage, chapter 8, we are reading today, we are witnessing the conversion of the Samaritans. The Great Commission. Jesus telling his apostles right before he ascended to heaven, he said, Therefore go into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we get to see witnessing here is the very fact that the Samaritans are now being converted. The Samaritans are now trusting in Jesus. They're trusting in the Messiah. And they are being baptized. There is good things happening. This is momentum. This is the thing today the church craves for. Anything for momentum. Anything to get us moving the ball down the field. That's happening right here in chapter 8 and multiple chapters of Acts. As you read through simple passages of Acts, think through the Great Commission lens. There's so many good things happening that we forget a lot, but there's so many great things and miracles, tremendous things happening. There's growth in the church here. But as we know, when good things happen, bad things happen too. As we see in this story, Simon was confronted with bitterness. So I put up a working definition of bitterness. I want to start here. It's anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly, resentment. Bitterness is different than just anger. Bitterness kind of takes its own little turn and it forces it towards people. It puts in, in context, you have a problem with a person. Therefore, there's bitterness. It's in the anger area, but it's also very different from anger. And this captivated me. I felt like more and more this is the main pull of the passage here. So I have a couple of slides I want to bring out a little bit more of bitterness. So according to Fernando, which is a great name for a scholar, Fernando, the word bitterness, literally gall of bitterness. Gall meaning disrespect towards another person. But it literally means gall of bitterness comes from Deuteronomy 29.18 where the influence of those who led the Israelites to follow other gods, is described as a root among you that produces such bitter poison. Hebrews 12.15 warns, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I love that phrase. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. The Bible According to Heschel, callousness is the root of sin. We hear money is the root of sin. Callousness, being calloused, is the root of sin, according to 
uh, Heschel. So, what does bitterness produce in a person? The end game to bitterness is a calloused heart. The end game to bitterness is being isolated, having no room or capacity in oneself to truly have compassion, empathy, or love towards another person. I feel like this is a root for major problems within the church today. And I bring this sermon up to you about bitterness, not because I'm telling you right now, I have all of this figured out. I have everything, I, and here's what you need to do. Here's step one, two, and three. No, I, I, this is not at all a part of that. I bring up bitterness because this is what Scripture does. It opens you up. And as this has opened me up, I have to stand up here today and say, I'm with you in this fight. I have a tendency, like Simon, in this story. I actually relate with Simon. If there's a miracle, I want to have whatever. I'll drink whatever. It doesn't matter. I, will want, I want what's happening there. And I'll do whatever it takes to get there. But that's not what God desires. I think we have a major situation within the church that we really desperately want miracles, but we don't want the work to get to the miracles. And a part of the work is the inner world, the inner being of us. The emotions. And what I see, and I experience myself as I've gotten older, I see more examples of bitterness than I do of love. And I think because of that, we need to talk about it. Because of that, we need to understand what's really happening. And if we're in this series and we truly want what's more, something more, We want more of the Holy Spirit. We want to have a better life. We want something more. So I put together just one little couple thoughts with what it looks like to have something more from this passage, just as a highlight. So something more from Acts 8, 5 through 25. Samaritans trusted in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. Praise God. We see evidence of that. The Holy Spirit was given through prayer, not just from baptism. And if I can say this, this is one area the church still argues about. Theologically, there's still so many arguments. Even throughout church history, there's been death over topics like this. I don't think you understand how much we try so hard to get things right instead of understanding the true dynamic of love. Over an issue like baptism. We should be praising God. People are getting baptized. Instead, we have to break it down. At what point did you receive the Holy Spirit? At what point did the Holy Spirit come upon you? You know what? The fact that the Holy Spirit is here, let's praise God. And so here isn't isn't just the Samaritans getting the Holy Spirit. It's also this weird dynamic where first part, it could be one of the first areas, where the Holy Spirit was received outside of baptism. They were baptized And then several days later, the apostles came, laid hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. That throws scholars for a loop. And that's what I love about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't follow human rules. Like, as soon as you think you have things figured out, God surprises you. And that's what I love. That's evidence for me of something supernatural actually taking place and happening. But there's a lot here. We feel in the room when we talk about bitterness. 
But there's one more thing on the something more. If you can bring that slide back up. Thank you. To receive the Holy Spirit, we need to get our hearts right with God. That's a hard statement for me to put down just because I feel like we are hypersensitive to legalism today in a good way. We should be hypersensitive to anything that smells like legalism. Legalism is forcing us to get everything right instead of worrying or more concerned with where is our heart. So when you hear that statement, getting your heart right with God, I want you to hear me. It's opening your life. It's instead of clenched fists, opening your hands and saying, God, I am struggling here. So when we turn towards God and open up, that's how we make our hearts right with God. God does the work. We just turn towards God. And a lot of times we want to get it right. We want to logically think through all the scenarios. We want to, we want to turn and do our own thing. We want to be independently sufficient. And that's not the way God works. Even the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit was transferred through the hands of the apostles is evidence of how badly God wants to work through us. God worked through the laying on of hands. He sent his Holy Spirit through that. God desperately wants to work through humanity. It's a beautiful thing. But in order to allow God to work through you, we need to have our hearts right. And there's a big difference from getting it right to having a right heart with God. So, this might seem a little premature, but I'm going to the so what. What do we do with all this information? What do we do with the story? What do we do with the Holy Spirit and bitterness? Well, like I said, the scripture opens you up. And so I'm going to share a story with you that I've never shared publicly. I think it's the time for me to do this. And I'm leery because it's concerning a church. Many of you know I was a youth pastor for several years. And I had the privilege and honor of being a youth pastor at three different churches. I loved it. The last church I was at was a church in the Quad Cities. And I have a picture of when uh, we went to camp. We support the same camp here. And we, I have it all three of the locations I've been a youth pastor at. And here's a picture in 2016. Whoops. In 2016, there's me, there's Becca on the right, and we brought 92 kids to camp. I say 92 because I want to give you a picture of the complexity of that week. I'm not saying this for accolades, nothing. God did this, okay? And it was amazing. But with 92 kids, that is stressful. Okay, just want to throw it out there. And the smells, my word. Man. But it was a great time. And there's something, oh, man. There's nothing better than seeing a student in tremendous turmoil go to a camp and all of a sudden start raising their hands to worship their Heavenly Father. Doesn't get old. That's why I, I give my life to this, to see those things, to see heaven come to earth. So the week, stressful as it was, complex as it was, smells as it was, there was amazing power of heaven coming to earth. 
The problem was, in 2016, this week, I had a fever every night. I was on ibuprofen. Every night, around 8 o'clock, it would just come on me. There's a fever, and I would have to take ibuprofen and go to bed a little earlier, and I hated that because I love hanging out with students. It was, it was a blast, but it was exhausting. I'd never had been, I've never been sick. And then when it's in camp, middle of summer, 90-degree weather, not a good cocktail for things to be better, okay? So every, every day, just had a fever getting sick. We come back about uh, 2, 3 in the morning on Saturday after the week's over. I wake up, I sleep in a little bit, I wake up around 10, and I call my executive pastor because I have to do the announcements. And to do the announcements at this church, we had three services every weekend. We had Saturday service and then two on Sunday. So you had to report at the church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and, and do a meeting and then get ready for service. So I called him at 10, and I'm like, hey, I am really not feeling good. I don't think I can do the announcements. And his response immediately was, this is too late of a notice. You're going to do the announcements. So I came in. I came in at 3, tried to feel better, and I was just getting worse. So I sit through the meeting. As I'm sitting through the meeting, I can feel I am not feeling right. After the meeting, I go up to the senior pastor, and I said, hey, I'm leaving, and I'm going to urgent care. I'm really not feeling good. And this was the time that was pre-COVID, Nobody really cared when you were sick. You know, like, that. like you had a cough, who cares? You know, you have fever, who cares? It's like, deal with it. No, like, it was, it really was affecting me. And I hated that. So I was upset, angry. So I go to him, and I know that I had some uh, emotion, but I just said it distinctly or succinctly to him. And I said, hey, I'm going to urgent care. I can't do announcements. Can you find somebody? I'm going to go now. And so I left, went to urgent care, and I had walking pneumonia. So I had proof, evidence. I was sick. Two weeks go by. I get called in by the executive pastor and my direct report. They had a document on the table, and they wrote me up. I got wrote up for insubordination and victim mentality. If, I don't know if you've ever been into a meeting. If someone calls you a victim, anything you say sounds like you're a victim. Anything I was to say, if I was sick, victim. Whatever. So insubordination because I didn't do the announcements. Victim mentality because I was sick and I let it defeat me. Then the executive pastor said, I want you to go to all leadership, ask for forgiveness, and apologize for what you, do, what you did. So I did. I tell you this story for a couple reasons. This was the tipping point for me at this job to quit. I ended up resigning. I could not take that. And I tell you the story not because I want, you to, I want to build a case against the church. The leadership that was there is no longer. All the people I'm talking about in this story are no longer at the church. There's actually just being installed a brand new lead pastor, and I want what's best for the church. So I'm not building a case for pity or that you will get on my side. There is no side to this. This is just my story and what happened to me. But it was the very thing, it was the very thing that built bitterness. God got my attention because of how bitter I was. I was very bitter towards the church. I was bitter towards leadership. And there's all kinds of podcasts out there right now showing you the devastation of leadership, poor leadership within the church. There is poor leadership. There is egotistical people leading churches that truly are. There's problems. And there's going to continue to be problems. 
Even when there's greatness happening, when 92 kids, we just got back from a trip, 92 kids, and we brought back all but 91. Just kidding. That's 99%, right? That's passing. I don't know what this looks like for you. I don't know who has hurt you. I don't know where the bitterness looks like in your life. But I just want to say I am with you. Especially when it comes to the church. We have all kinds of reasons to be bitter. We can justify, validate our bitterness. But at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is bitterness produces a calloused heart. Years have passed. I've had to look back at that situation and just give it to God. Ask for forgiveness. There's still times I wrestle with it because there's more things that have, and I'm, I'm not, I'll never share those things. There's more to it. But I'm telling you the things that I want to say up front so that I can own it too. I wasn't perfect in that situation. And it's taken me a while to understand what my part I played in that role was. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if there's something that has happened significant. And I don't, here's the point of what God wants to do with this. It's not that God wants to correct what happened to you through those people. God wants to bring healing and freedom right here, right now with you. It's not about anybody else. It's about you and your heart. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your, can we say this together? Inner being. Inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power. It's the power. This is the way the Holy Spirit works. He gives you power to deal with the inner world of who you are. They have power together with all the Lord's people, all the Lord's holy people. We need each other in all of this. This all, it connects with everything. To grasp, and this is one of my favorite parts, how wide, long, and high, and deep. In other words, God, Christ's love covers every area. It's, it's, there is a significance, a supernatural, incredible power to God's love that goes far beyond human love. It covers everything. Even when we don't have answers. Even when we feel abandoned. Even when we feel like there's no support. Even when there's a senior pastor that did wrong. It's Christ's love that covers everything. So as I do often, I end with a couple of questions. As we come to the communion table, are you ready to give your bitterness to God? Are you ready to trust Jesus with your inner being? 
if you are ready for something more, it starts with getting your heart right with God. As we move towards communion, we understand in the church there's actually two sacraments that we truly believe the means of the Holy Spirit works through. We just have evidence that the Holy Spirit has worked through baptism and communion. We don't know how it all works, but we have validation that through baptism and communion, God works. So today, the only requirement for communion is that at some level, you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that could be a very small amount of trust. It doesn't matter. But if you've trusted in Jesus, we want to invite you to partake in communion today because this is the place we take the bitterness. This is the place we find that inner strength. This is the place we find the peace. This is the place that we might even give our own self compassion. You know what I've had to hear a lot in my life currently? It's hard for me to say this. It's okay. I've been through a lot. Have you ever said that to yourself? It's okay. You've been through a lot. And yet God has not left you at all. So as we take this communion, I'm going to pray. You can open, take the elements. We're going to worship. And during that time, however you feel led, you can take those elements. But my prayer is, maybe today, when we're talking about a passage about how the Holy Spirit is being passed on and we're wanting all the miracles, we're wanting all the benefits of the Holy Spirit, but right now, you know what God has asked me to bring up to you today? What about your bitterness? Are you ready to give up your bitterness before I give a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this moment. I pray, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts, you'd illuminate our life. And we just ask the question, am I willing to give you my bitterness today? Wherever I've been hurt, wherever I've been wounded, Father, we're asking for a supernatural power of healing that can only come from you and your love as we receive your elements, as we remember that your death on the cross brought us all freedom and life. May we trust in that today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.